um, I just feel I feel bad because you're a pro, you know, and I've taken you away from your um, your amazing setup with the proper microphones and the mixing and the gear and stuff and put you on a telephone. Uh, no, you haven't. I have like a better than average like gaming headset with a with a decent microphone, and it's well, the crazy thing about it. I got a cordless one. So most of the time when I'm recording, I'm just kind of dancing around my my, uh, my bedroom just kind of bouncing <laughs> off the wall. Hi there, I'm Steve Joel, a radio host and 40K fanatic from New Zealand. This is a podcast series that celebrates the funnest, most interesting, and maybe most influential people in our hobby. It's a chance for us to get to know the 40K Game Changers. See, now I've got images of Tom Cruise in that movie where he's just in his white um, uh, wife fronts and he's yeah. dancing around. I've, uh, I've streamed whole super majors, yeah, in, in that fashion. <laughs> <laughs> if only people knew. Well, now they do, I guess. Today's chat covers a lot of stuff, and it's all fascinating. We talk about going through addiction and get the behind-the-scenes of shoutcasting big events and the exploding Australian scene as well, and COVID. I tried to go for a jog because I'm enjoying jogging at the moment. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I don't know if I got 100 metres. And then I just ended up walking and walking for days. And I never seemed to, it never seemed to get better. And then there was like a flick switched and then I was like back to normal. It was really, it was really weird. I had a five-day fever. Like, just five days, 24 hours a day, just hot, sweaty, no relief. I want to say a big thanks to my friends at the Frontline Gaming Network for all of their support in getting this podcast to you. Tickets are on sale right now for Cruise Hammer, which just sounds like so much fun, and the Lone Star Open and the Atlantic City Open. Do you know what? Man, I wish I could get to those events, any of those events. If you're in the States, book a ticket. Make me jealous frontlinegaming.org Okay, let's get on with the show. He's a former member of the Australian ETC team. He's a winner of a bunch of Australian tournaments and self-described general nuisance at the top tables. He has a win ratio of 80% in tournament play, best known probably these days as a podcaster and shoutcaster, and he is prolific. With so many shows and events to his name, I'd have to speak as fast as he does to list them in the hour that we have. Adam Camilleri, welcome. Thanks. Uh, amazing accolade. The 80% win rate, where'd you pull that from? Uh, <laughs> that's, from that's, your, news to me. that's from your friend Joshua Diffie. I don't know how up-to-date it is, though. That's from from the Down Under Pairings website. So any tournaments you've played that have been loaded into DUP, you've got 80%. Yeah, and, that's, it's, oh, 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 in my prime... It was, the, it was the DUP years in my prime. I've moved on to the BCP and the stats are nowhere near as good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 87% going second, which, uh, you know, that's pretty good. Do, do you know, until until Iron Hands in uh, at the uh, Tale of Ain't Edition, I had a 100% going first win rate in 8th Edition until Iron Hands dropped at the end. In, and in, then I lost like three <laughs> games going first to die hands in a row. And I'm like, yeah, that, that died in a fire. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know, you will just not follow the meta. You're like, you're one of the few, and I'm going to put say this top players because you are a top player, and you say in your prime, but in you know in your Aussie years. Uh, and I, I, we'll get to this, but I think you kind of you know you're now on the comeback trail, but the. You're a top player who is not really a meta chaser. And again, maybe we can come back to this later, but Guard, Black Templars, and Dark Angels are your three armies. Uh, and sure, they have had their moments, but none of those are what you call great right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the Marines are a little bit are bubbling away. They've got a, a little bit going for them at the moment. Well, more than they did, say, two months ago. Yeah. Um, Guard was what I actually, well, if you're talking about like making a name for yourself. Um, my kind of my, my initial brand as a 40k player was playing essentially playing guard without allies at the end of 7th edition and winning games and that's how I got a bit of notoriety and I got essentially that, that was what got me selected for that for initial ETC team in 2018 and a couple of other teams events of, of a similar nature and yeah it was because I, I was just I didn't know any better at the time I'd hate, love to say I was bucking trends and pushing against the meta I, was just, I just didn't know enough about the game I was just playing what I wanted to play Right, right. You people make me sick. You can just play what you want to play and still win tournaments. That just drives me nuts when I slog and slog and slog and still haven't won a thing. But um, 
yeah, we can we can come back to all of that. All I know, let's start with that because I do like the fact that you were playing guard. And maybe is it an Australian thing? Because Eric Lathuris is the same thing with Nids, right? Is it Eric that does this, where he just mm. goes, "I don't care what the what is happening in the rest of the world. I'm going to play uh, swarms full of." Tyranids, you know, gaunts yeah. all over the table, and still go out exactly. and win events when they're not very, when they before they were good. The dude, the dude went undefeated for nine months in yeah. the middle of in the middle of eighth edition. Just like decided, oh yeah, I'm just going to play nothing less than 150 termagants, and I'm going to win. I'm just going to win everything for nine months. Right. And he did. And um, but in Australia, there is definitely, um, and I suppose New Zealand, I thought would be comparable there's this issue with price the price point <laughs> of armies and chasing the meta yeah. um, in addition to uh, sometimes we just can't get the new models as they come out and so you'll find in australia and i don't know if you can test new zealand um you'll find a lot more people who just play x factions they just yeah. play xyz like me i play guard dark angels and i haven't really played like templars in a bit i was borrowing models to do that um because i don't i can't bring myself to own two black space marine armies just yeah not, not doing it um and, um, yeah, so you find in Australia we develop a lot of more faction specialists rather than, and I suppose we sometimes we use this as a dirty word as meta chasers, but more people who are willing to, to ride the waves, stay on the cusp. They were called meta surfers, you know? <laughs> a little less, little less uh, you know, derogatory term there. Yeah, no, I like that. Not bandwagon jumpers. Meta surfers is such a, it's so much a cooler yeah. name. I think also we have a lot of players here, and you can tell me, is it the same in Australia? There are a couple of armies that are super popular that people have on the shelf, and you'll find Knights, Custodes, Tau, Tau particularly. Mm. There are a lot of Tau players in New Zealand. They just kind of had them on the shelf for a long time, and when the glory moment drops, they are ready to go with those models. In Australia, it feels like it's, well, in Victoria, it feels like it's chaos. It feels like every other yeah. bloke and, and, and player has a chaos army of some kind, be it Demon, CSM, Chaos Knights, whatever it is. And at any point, you could just be like, oh, half the guys just decided to pull out their chaos models and they're like, oh yeah, well, we're now we're drowning again. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really feels like a thing. Well, it does, um, for, the, for the regulars, I guess, the people who go to tournaments in and out, you've got three or four different armies. And the funny thing is, when you talk to meta surfers, as we're going to call them now, uh, it's funny how many <laughs> insist that they have had this army for ages and they've been playing it. I will not stand and be lied to, <laughs> Joel. You've been like indignant. Do not try and tell me, sir. You had nine void weavers the day before the codex dropped. How dare you? Like, right. like that. <laughs> and, and all look like they're like there are no um, there are no diamonds on those void diamonds. weavers. They're all just yeah. blue yeah. and red, and that's it. It's a lot yeah, of we call I call it spray spray and pray. It looks good. Spray and pray. <laughs> yeah, brush technique. Yeah, that's right. Get your void weavers ready. <laughs> you know what? You, it's, while we're on the subject of painting, I want to bring this up because you uh, you you're known as a player and you're known as a podcaster, but actually you kind of pride yourself on your painting as well. 2017, you're the reconnaissance man at the CanCon champs. So so you do yeah. paint. You do other stuff. I do. I, I actually, like, so, I don't know if we're ready to go into the deep stuff, but I came to this game and this hobby as a painter. I came uh, here um, needing something to do with my hands and my mind that would keep them quiet. Um, right. I don't know if we're, if how, how down rabbit holes we're, we're going to go, but um, I've had some mental health struggles. I've had some plenty of personal struggles, and I came to a point in my life where I had been introduced to Warhammer in the past as a young, as a very young kid, like, you know, the, the early teens, um, you know, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. And, you know, found girls in high school and all that stuff and didn't come back for a bit. And then I found myself very listless at a time in my life where I was um, had nothing but free time and a very uh, very unwell mental health-wise. And I needed something to do that would um, keep my hands and my mind busy. And I went and wandered into a games workshop and the rest is kind of history. Yeah, you're not alone. That's uh, And I've mentioned this before on this podcast. Regular listeners will know. Uh, similar sort of thing for me. I just happened to walk into a a games workshop at a time where I really needed a distraction, as you say, something to do with my hands and my mind. That's a great way of putting it. Um, and if this is completely up to you. I don't want to put you on the spot, but can I ask what was kind of going on around that time to drag you down into the depths? Sure. Um, how, much, how much time we got? Um, so I've made no secret of the fact that I have had um, quite um, horrific struggles with substance abuse in my life. Right. Um, stemming from childhood trauma, mental health, ADHD, being treated very differently from a very young age, which manifested in a bunch of different 
uh, ways of viewing myself and viewing the world that were all very toxic and ended up, um, so I ended up at the age of 23 um, being semi-forced into attending a rehab, a rehab center. Um, and I spent three months in that rehab center, then transitioned to a halfway house, which had a full like day program. So I was kept very busy. Um, and I was in, so I was in rehab for three months. I was in the day program for four months. And then I transitioned into a supported accommodation, which is kind of just where they like dunk you in like, okay, you're cool. You're a, you're a big boy now. Look after yourself. Don't use drugs. And everyone else is in this house is not using drugs as well. So don't ruin their lives either. If you decide to ruin yours again. Um, and so I was there. I didn't have a job. I didn't have, I wasn't studying. No girlfriend had very, very few friends outside um, my recovery friends, in which case I had a lot. Um, but I had nothing to do all day, every day. And I had never had more energy. I'd never had less distractions. And I was really going downhill. Like this was murdering me. I'm ADHD riddled to the core and being told to just stand still don't, and don't blow yourself up. Essentially like, you know, um, yeah. I talk about I, I talk about addiction in a lot of ways. I do a, a couple of self help things and um, a bit of a, a talking head in those realms too. But I talk about recovery as um, it's, a, it's a rough way to do it, but it's a shocking way as a bit of a, a ticking time bomb. Like as in you are, I'm I'm a combustible thing. If I don't look after myself and, and add time to the clock, like think of it like an old school Batman, you know, campy Batman bomb. You know, it's ticking yeah, down, yeah. and I gotta I gotta do things that are healthy for me to add time to the clock put time on the clock yeah. um, to keep adding time so it doesn't, I, I don't explode or, or self-combust. Um, and that's been a good way for me to look at myself as a human being. Like I need to chop wood, carry water, maintain myself, look after myself, regulate myself and um, be accountable. And yeah, so I walked into this games workshop at this extremely listless phase of my life where I had nothing going for me except that I wasn't killing myself, actively killing myself. Um, on a daily basis. And um, yeah, this, this dude in this uh, G-Dub kind of just saw me wandering, like, because I, I was just wandering around a shopping center, like, because I, I had nowhere to go and, and nothing to do. And so I just walked, walked like, I think it was, uh, would have been about four miles to the shopping center just for something to do and was walking <laughs> around. And this, I walked into a games workshop because I remembered it from being a kid. And this dude, this guy, his name was, um, his name was Bucks. Um, is it, is it what we're calling because everyone in Australia has a nickname. And uh, yeah. he, he kind of just sat me down and gave me a, one of the really bad old space marines from like Black Reach and just told, gave me some paint and told me to paint it. And I sat there and I painted this model for the next, I think it was the next two hours. Without, I sat down and just painted for two hours. I didn't sit up, didn't really talk to anybody, didn't communicate, listening to Ramstein and, you know, in the shop. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and my brain was clear. My, my like, all the all the crap that was running between my ears just shut up for just two blissful hours and i've been literally i've never stopped i've never put down a brush i've never stopped building painting looking for something to do with my hands a new scheme a new technique a new paint range yeah it's just kind of i mean that's led me to like traveling the world playing 40k you know streaming commentating um podcasting it's absolutely ridiculous what one what one little decision at a pivotal point can do and a shout out to the people involved in the stores as well my my experience is similar to yours whether you walk in and just look i know they they're they have to this is the job you welcome people in and you help them out but i i have found the people at this store i owe them so much at our local g-dub just for helping me into the game and helping me learn to paint and lots of tips and lots of time and providing tables to play on and, and also teaching me mm-hmm. the game. All of that stuff that they do, and even though it is part of the job, they they really invested in it, man, and they go above and beyond. And it sounds like, and not just the people, the staff there, but I know that you had other people in that store who invested time in you as well. Correct. Um, I, so there's a bunch of different, I've got a bunch of different stories. So when I was a kid, when I was a really little kid and, um, I tried to learn how to paint initially, um, and you know, I'd stuck my models together with PVA glue and <laughs> just arrow dye. It was, they were ruined, completely ruined. And I'd bring them up to these like venerable, like dudes sitting around the painting table. I thought they were venerable. They're probably like freaking 18 <laughs> for all I know now. And, um, I'd be like, teach me how to dry brush and like you'd have to convince somebody to teach you. But then just seeing that change from then until when I came back and was doing it in my uh, early twenties, I think I was 23, 24 at the time. Um, um, and I'll just sit down and uh, like a dude, just like out of nowhere, I was sitting there and I was painting an orc. I bought the new, um, Gluck face ripper model. And I wanted to learn, I wanted to paint green, but I couldn't get depth into the skin. And the dude just sitting there at the painting table was like, move over. This is how you do it. And just taught me layering. He just taught me layering and um, recess shading for the next like four hours. 
Wow. And my, my painting just went, <laughs> exploded into a whole yeah. new world. Um, I was still very early days, like really early days then. Yeah. Let's uh, So let's move forward a little bit in time into getting into the tournament scene. So you painting and getting involved in the modelling and the creativity and giving your hands and your brain something to do, that's great. And then you discover playing the game and and that took you on a journey of how, how important was that, the competitive nature of it and kind of filling that need in your life as well? So... I don't know if you know Australians. We're pretty competitive people. <laughs> even even when I consider myself, well, I try not to live on that energy, but I even like scratch the surface and I'm like, let's go, let's go. Get it, you want to get stuck in. Um, and yeah, so I started playing fantasy um, initially. I played a little bit of towel and then, because, because that, I, the, the guy who was that, that guy who initially taught me how to paint bucks, he said, um, there's two, there's two armies you can do if you want to get good at painting, if you want to learn painting well. Um, you can do space rings, you can do tau. And because tau, they both have nice flat services. I just arbitrarily decided the tau. I, on no reason whatsoever, um, decided tau just because there were just a lot, lot of flat services and angles to paint and edge on. I feel like you're over justifying your tau decision now. People are. <laughs> I am. I, I need to. People I have a reputation to maintain here, Steve. Like, <laughs> it's right. <laughs> it's going to be hate directed at Adam because of a tau decision. I swear to God, it was for painting reasons only. Well, I ditched them very quickly, ended up on uh, playing a bit of Orcs in Fantasy, um, and then I ended up uh, uh, ditching them and playing Ogres in Fantasy towards the end of um, 8th yeah, edition. nice. So, um, and yeah, so that, that took me, so, oh, dude, I got to tell you, my first Canton, so Canton, for those who don't know, is essentially the, the LVO equivalent for Australia. Um, the first uh, Canton I went to, I was, a, so I, I got my first uh, army, and the reason I was playing Ogres was because I was a student at the time, and they were the cheapest model <laughs> per dollar I could make an army out of. If right. knights had have existed for fantasy at the time, I would have been playing knights because I was a student. I'd gone, I'd gone back to study. I was living off the smell of an oily rag. Like I had no money. I was buying one box of miniatures every fortnight. Yeah. And I was building um, I was building an army over like a year. Um, so I had an ogre army, packed it up, took took myself to CanCon. I was stay sleeping on the on the couch in another mate's uh, room because I couldn't afford my own room. Um, and I jumped in the car with him on the way up, and uh, I didn't even have enough money to give him much for petrol. I think he gave me 20 bucks for a, what is essentially a seven-hour drive for mm-hmm. my, my contribution of petrol. Um, and he was leaving a day early because he was there playing Infinity, and I didn't have the money to pay for another night's accommodation. So I slept at the bus shelter for the last night of CanCon um, of the event. I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't know anybody else there either because I was an awkward dude and hadn't made many friends yet and just really wanted to go to this event and check out what all the fuss was about. And so I slept at the bus shelter on the last night of the tournament and woke up, went to the tournament, and then caught the bus home straight after. Um, and so that's like what I was willing to do to go and be part of back then. Wow. That still astounds me. I mean, I, I, people, people will be like, slept homeless or whatever, sleeping on the street. I'd slept rough, in, like I'd slept on the street before back in the day. Me sleeping at a bus shelter was nothing really outrageous to me. I'd been like kind of transient in parts of my life before during my active addiction. So it might shock others to me. It was just like, oh, well, let's not spend the money. I'll go have a, a half decent dinner instead and I'll just crash at the bus shelter. Who cares? Right. Um, wow. But to me, in hindsight now, from my very comfy life and you know things are going so well for me, I'm like, oh, that's amazing that I did that. Yeah. Well, it is amazing. And so just to give people an idea of the perspective, uh, so at that time you're living in Melbourne and had to go to Canberra? Correct, yeah. Yeah, and so that is a seven-hour drive. God, on a map, it doesn't look that far. But Australia's yeah. <laughs> Australia's a big place, which is part of the issue with kind of getting everybody together and playing at events, right? Well, it has been an issue with making a national scene for – well, getting a truly national scene going in Australia because just so many players aren't, just don't have the financial stability to travel more than once, twice a year at best. Yeah. Um, whereas what we need to do is something, well, what, what are the people in America do? They have much, much cheaper internal flights in America than we do in Australia. And um, what, you know, what they'll do is they will see the same, like 10 dudes will play at every super major across the damn country. I'm saying 10 people because those are the 10 people I know. That's probably like 30, 40 people whose names just aren't like the tip of my tongue. Yeah, and even they, you know, it might not be all the way across the country, but you'll get a bunch of people that play all the way around the couple of states 
you know, this state yeah, and then the couple of neighbouring states that they're in, which is to you and me because we're the we have the same in New Zealand. God, it costs me the same to fly to the South Island of New Zealand as it does for me to fly to Sydney. The internal flights are yeah. just crazy expensive. Mm. So we we it, it seems weird to people in Canada and Australia who will drive for eight hours, but in New Zealand you find people only will travel. God, you'd be lucky to get people occasionally travel a couple of hours on a plane or drive halfway up the North Island, which is just a few hours, to go to an event because there are enough kind of within the immediate vicinity to keep most people satisfied. Yeah, that's what we need. We need to build up these kind of flagship um, events to make people want to travel. Like in Australia, like we need to, because I feel like as soon as you get to like crack a crack 100, crack 150, these kind of landmark figures, yeah. events start to get a bit of momentum behind them. And they'll stay at those figures. They're very, very rarely will they go backwards, will they go down from like once they crack triple figures, yeah. um, triple digits. And so, yeah, we're just kind of trying to build up enough people that are willing to do this. And if they're just willing to do it like, two, three times a year, like that will do so much for, for the scene in Australia and I'm hoping in New Zealand as well. So give me an idea of the numbers at, say, CanCon. If you go to CanCon, how many people are turning up there? Um, we're starting to crack triple digits in CanCon. Like right. I think the last CanCon was between 100 150. Please don't uh, tell me I'm wrong. I know it didn't get 200. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'm sorry, I was, I was at LVO. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's and LVO's like, but that's America, right? And that's and it's close yeah. enough so that people can come from Europe. But Aussie and New Zealand are a long, long way away from just everyone else. So you're relying entirely on Australian people and maybe some coming yeah. across the Tasman. So um, exactly right. Yeah. So you were the Renaissance man in 2017 at CanCon. So this is when was your first one? 2015, 16. Yeah, I think twenty. I thought I think twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. I was there playing fantasy. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, the next year was, was the, I think I might have skipped a year. I think it was I think it was twenty fifteen. I was playing fantasy there. And then twenty seventeen. I was there playing forty k. Yeah. Um, at the tail end of seventh uh, edition. Um, and then yeah, I, I think I, I came top ten the year after in twenty eighteen. I think I was. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I was top top ten or top fifteen. Um, and then the year after that was the first year I streamed it in twenty eighteen. Um, let me let me let me give yeah. you what I've got here. So twenty seventeen yeah. Renaissance man at the Cancon Champs, back to back best Imperial Guard player in Australia for twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen ITC seasons. You were first at Terracon in twenty seventeen, first at Eastcon in twenty seventeen, and third overall in the Australian ITC rankings for twenty seventeen. I have you second to Matt Marisoli in the Australian rankings for twenty eighteen. Uh, so 2017, 2018, those are kind of we're at peak Adam at that point. And you made the you made the ETC team in 2018 as well. So in terms of tournament play, those that was a couple of good years. Extremely good years. And uh, yeah, I made, I made the ETC team again in 2019, the, the year following, which is that was that so far. I think that's the accolade I'm proud of the most um, of, of all those ones. In 2019, uh, Australia took the best team we'd taken so far. We actually made an active effort to bring a stacked team representing the best of Australia. And uh, we managed to play for the win against England in the last round. Yeah. And unfortunately, we lost and dropped to fourth. Um, and that kind of sucked. I will, I will tell you that really sucked uh, playing for the win and then not even getting a podium. Um, but that felt good. I felt like I, like I felt like I did something for myself and a little bit, hopefully something for my whole country with that team kind of putting us on the map saying, hey, we're, we're not a joke. We're not to be overlooked. We are legitimately a, a place that takes us and that prides ourselves very well in our gameplay and uh, the level and quality of our players. And uh, we can stand up to the, with the best because we, we beat a lot of uh, big nations then. Spain and France, I think. Uh, we, we got one back on, um, on a couple of nations who'd beaten us in previous years and it took us a little bit lightly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, we, we just fell short against England and they ended up winning, taking, uh, and winning everything. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, I, between you and me, between you and me, and every other people in the in the oceanic area, and every other I don't know Commonwealth nation. My God, it would have felt good to be in England. Holy <laughs> yeah, well, and people need to. If your people are listening to this in the states or anywhere in Europe that is not England, they won't know the sporting history between Australia and England. Things like the cricket, Ashes, and stuff like that. So for Australia to beat England, everything, and it's everything. <laughs> it's the same for, and I'm sure it's the same with other Commonwealth nations. For New Zealanders. To beat the motherland is like, uh, mm-hmm. come on, man. This is like we're out from under the shadow. Yeah. But I hope with with some distance now, and I'm talking about time, with time f- since it happened, can you see that fourth is a remarkable result given where 
people expected you to be going into that event? Yeah, look, I'm still really proud of the result. I can't say I am enamoured in, in where we, how close we came. It's just like we could have, we, Australia could be the reigning, defending WTC champion, and we didn't, and it hurts. And yeah. part of, I mean, I was part of that team. Part of that's on me. Um, I could have done better. And actually, I was one of the weakest players on that team, so that's something I need to own. And I, I've had a lot of time to self-reflect in two years of pandemic on what went wrong there, <laughs> because you know we haven't been back since. There hasn't been another. World Championships, World Team Championships. Um, so yeah, that, that was been a that was a pretty pivotal moment. That was the first time I think I'd properly tasted defeat. I never really, it never really bothered me. Um, I mean, there's, there's a couple of blips on the radar where like I lost a, I, I, I was going for number one in the world in uh, in sorry number one in Australia in that 2018 where I think I came second or third, um, and I lost. Well, I was a bit pig-headed in that one. Until then, I'd been playing guard. That was at the start of 8th edition. That was the first year of 8th edition. I've been playing guard all the way through there. And Eldar had just come out prior to that CanCon. And yeah. I, rather than changing up my list to account for how good Eldar was into guard, I played the same thing. And it, I played five guard players out of... Sorry, five Eldar players out of eight, I think, wow. games. Yeah. And I lost, to, I lost to one of them, which was Jeremy uh, Marigold, who ended up winning that event. And I lost another one to in a guard mirror. And... Um, those ones haunt me a little bit because it was through my own stubbornness uh, to be inflexible. I learned a lot from that about, you know, you actually, if you want to win things like CanCons, like LVOs, you can't not account for the meta you're going to have there. And um, so I learned a lot from that. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of blips on the radar that I think have taught me a lot. And I will, I'll put this out there to anybody, any, anyone aspiring in any form of life, whether especially competitive 40K, be ready to learn from your mistakes because they'll teach you so much more in life than any, any form of success. The ETC, and I don't want to, look, it's not for me to say you're being too hard on yourself, but you were playing in the final, which means you got so much further. And I get that maybe playing in the final should have qualified you to just come second or third in that event. If you lost the final, maybe you should have got a silver medal. However they do the scoring system, maybe they need to look at that. But playing in the final at an event where, as you say, other teams, because of history, took you a little lightly. Sure, there are things to learn, but... Is it okay for me to say I think you're being a bit hard on yourself when you were part of a great team that made the final at an ETC, which is something that, you know, players will go for years and years and years and not not achieve that? It's, uh, yeah, it's fair. It's one of my, it's one of my kind of core uh, uh, defects of character, so to speak. I'm extremely hard on myself, like uh, absurdly so. And it comes from a place of fear. I'm constantly afraid of going backwards or slipping into old behaviours back into active addiction, be that through people, food, substances, whatever that may be. Uh, and so, yeah, I hold myself to uh, really strictly to things and I beat myself up ferociously about my shortcomings. <laughs> right. So thank, thank you for saying so, mate. Um, was it 2018 or 2019? I, I can't remember which, but Australia played the USA and it seems like it was a real good time, <laughs> like it was a good time for the Aussie team to come up against the, the, the Americans. Yeah, they went on to win that. That was in 2018. Yeah, I was there playing a, a jank. Once again, I was playing guard. I was playing guard and custodes and three collectors assassins. I still love that freaking list. That list is freaking awesome. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I ended up playing Sean Naden on USA. USA ended up uh, going on and winning it. He gave me my first ever 20 nil loss. Wow. So well, it's Sean Naden to be fair. Well, exactly. Like, had I known he was going to be that janky and crazy, um, I would have played completely differently. I played him like he was just any other player because I didn't know any better at the time. Right. And yeah, he, they made a bit of a fool out of me. Um, but they rolled us. That team that they had that year was absolutely stacked. Um, and yeah, they did a. Yeah. We were, we were. So in years gone by in WTC, it was. Because, of course, New Zealand knows as well, it's so expensive for us to attend that event. Yeah. In addition, you, you, you have to allocate a bunch of extra days um, more. So people from Europe can just, you know, jump on a, on a weekend flight, take one or two days off work, and just and be back, you know, Ro- rosy and in, in good health and ready to go. Yeah. In Australia and in New Zealand, it is a minimum of, I think, uh, 15 hours to try and get to Europe. Um, and that's if you don't have a, a decent stopover anywhere. I think that's pretty much more, more than often a direct flight with one dog leg. Um, and then you have to contend with jet lag because you've gone half a day or, or three quarters of a day into the past. Yeah. And so if you, want to be, if you want to be operating at your peak for the team's event, you need to arrive two or three days early. So that's two or three days more of um, 
of, je- of accommodation. And then in addition, when you get home, you are absolutely wrecked and you have to, you, you're bad at your job. So usually you want to take off a couple of days when you get, when you get back. While it might be like a three to five day endeavor for, for European countries, it is more like a two week endeavor, closer to a two week endeavor for people in our region of the world. And that comes with, you know, possibly could be, you know, five, six hundred bucks for somebody in Europe to go and do that. And they, that's with a bunch of spending money. Here, you've got to put a couple of grand aside. Like, yeah. that's, that's usually about 1500 to 2000 bucks in flights. And then at the same, give about the same in accommodation, around a grand in accommodation. Then if you want to have a good time, it's probably another 500, 600 bucks. You're looking, looking at about three grand just to, like, you have, you have to have three grand of disposable income to apply for the team. Yeah. Don't, don't bother applying if you don't have that much money available. And, that's, and so it's just kind of rough. That's what makes it so impressive that you're able to legitimately put together a really top Australian team rather than just going, okay, oh. who can actually afford to go and get time off and, mm. you know, wants to be there? You should have seen the wheeling and dealing. So for me and Pete, the, the captain at the time, we were like, will you come if this guy comes? And if this guy comes, will you come? Well, if, you, if we all get, if all these guys agree to come, Will you guys come? Yeah, <laughs> because there were so many players that want to come but aren't, weren't willing to come unless we had a team that could that could legitimately have a runner going all the way. Because that's been the thing. Um, like I said, uh, usually the, the team is the the two the two to five two to four top players at, at in in the meta in Australia at the time that can afford to go, and then whoever else wants to come along for the ride. Yeah. Like in 2018, we had some awesome dudes. Like we had one lovely gentleman named Jack on the team who barely played the edition. But he wanted to come. We didn't have anybody else. He was going to play Tao. Not too hard. Point and click. You know, yeah. get lines of sight, roll dice, win games. He won a couple of games. The guy did really well, but, uh, considering because he, he's not a crap player. But he had barely played eighth edition. Yeah. Um, he was like a gun in, in six and seven. And he came to he came to freaking ETC representing Australia. Lovely gentleman. But it's that was the, that was what the, the team was then. And so yeah, I was lucky enough to be, you know, vice. Uh, sorry. Um, vice captain for that 2019 squad and yeah I'm really proud of what we achieved hopefully I'm, I'm going to be there in I'm not playing for the team but I'm going to be there in WCC this year hopefully commentating an Australian win I'm going to lose my freaking mind and my voice and I cannot wait I cannot freaking wait mate you'll have to like import some Forex or Fosters or whatever the hell is you know maybe probably a good beer a good Australian beer to celebrate actual beer actual beer <laughs> so for, again people in the states fosters i'm going to say is the budweiser equivalent is that fair to say in uh, in yeah, australia yeah. anyway trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh let's pivot away from that a little bit i want to talk about you know getting into the podcasting now and uh i know you've you've like been on every show and done so much but you started the mission of the down under network that's you and josh diffie mm. was to bring australian yeah. 40k to the world you have to believe that you've done that i'd like to believe i've contributed to australia having more uh, uh, being a bit more well known a bit more well respected and, and actually looked at as not the basket case. We were all the way through sixth and seventh edition. We were we, we were very happy to be basket cases at the time because those editions were kind of crazy. But we played under comp systems. We did whatever we could to make the game more enjoyable, more playable for our players in Australia. But from the outside looking in, you could just see us, you know, walking around with a cantaloupe on our head, you know, talking to ourselves. Um, it didn't look <laughs> didn't look very legitimate from the outside looking in. We didn't care. We were in, we were having a good time. Um, but we, so Josh, Diffie, and I, and once again, it's funny enough, this comes in a pretty pivotal time in my life. Um, so I initially, the f- very first content I ever made was, so after that 28, after, I think it was 2017, where I tried to go for number one in Australia and failed, ended up coming in second or third, I can't remember. Um, and... Um, after that, I, I had the lack of band effect. I'd, I'd gone to every competitive event that I could. I thoroughly burnt out on, on ultra-competitive 40K. And obviously, my, I, I was of the opinion at the time that my best wasn't good enough. I hadn't had the revelations yet that I needed to be more flexible with what I took to super majors and take account for what the top players are doing. Um, so I, the blame was solely resting on my own shoulders. And so I, tried, I did something. Uh, I, I went and I tried to find the worst army I was willing to play in the game at the time, which was... Black Templars, <laughs> um, because they were playing the very first Space Marine book, which was garbage compared to other, you know, like the, the Eldar book was out, the CSM book was out. Um, all these other ultra-powerful 8th edition codexes had started coming out, and that made the Space Marine book, which was one of the first ones, look really obsolete. And so I played black te- mono Black Templars through the middle of 8th edition, I think it was for a full year or uh, nine months, and the whole premise was, 
to try and get better at the game and be a better person by playing a, a trash army. And I created a podcast called Gaming Against the Grain. Yep. Um, which I still love. I still love. The, the logo was me, uh, my face on a dung beetle, pushing uh, <laughs> a pile of crap, pushing crap uphill. It's phenomenal. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, perfect. So Absolutely perfect. <laughs> yeah, real shoddy Photoshop is the work. It was awesome. Um, and yeah, so I started just documenting this journey, inspired by the best general by Adam Abramowitz, who's yeah. a, a great friend of mine. I love that man deeply. And um, yeah, and so I started doing that. And um, what what ended up happening though was I had some personal stuff happen. I got assaulted at work, and uh, my my relationship of five years ended, and I lost a bit of luster for that. I lost a bit of oomph for that. Um, and then I was in talks with my good mate mate Josh Diffy, brother from another mother, love him to death as well. And uh, we decided to just try and start streaming 40k. We just uh, pretty much no one was doing it at the time, and definitely no one in Australia was doing it. Like sometimes SLG would chuck a camera over a, over a, a super major they were doing, um, but that was pretty much it for 40k like live content. And so we just decided to go for it. Um, and so we started um, down on the network, me and myself, and we went to an ATC, um, one in WA, I think it was 2018, I believe, and uh, we streamed it. We just chucked a camera over one table and just talked over it. And I just found out that I freaking love it. Like, I love and adore live commentary. I find it something comes very easy to me, comes very natural to me. And I reveled in the excitement of trying to inject other people with passion for right. something that I, I'm also passionate about. Um, it excites me. It's trying to, and helping other people see and share what, what I'm excited about. Um, and yeah, we just, we just did that. It was pretty much um, uh, 18 months of us just going to different events in Australia and streaming as much as we could. I ended up streaming a bunch of remote events um, internationally. And yeah, it's kind of just taken off from there, mate. Yeah, so one minute you're doing Down Under Network and the next uh, it's the Art of War Down Under and then you're connected to, you know, all of the, the big names and flying off to Shoutcast, the LVO, and in no time at all, you're kind of, you were everywhere. Yeah, it really, it kind of exploded in a crazy way. Um, so... Yeah, me and Josh were running around streaming everything. Did a did a, a, a um, did a CanCon. Did a couple of a, did a couple of ATCs. A bunch of other major level and GT level events. Um, and then there was this. There was uh, I had a really good a couple of really good mates. Um, one of them is uh, you'll I call him Simon, but you'll know him as Val Heffelfinger. Oh yeah. He, he and I met at um, NTC 2018. Started a bit of a um, bit of rapport, bit of friendship there. And the other one's Mitch Pellin. Um, and Mitch Pelham is uh, an amazingly close friend of mine. Uh, we talk very deeply about mental health. He's, he's one of the gents I lean on when things aren't going well, and, and he does likewise with me. Um, and he, I, I just floated ideas like, "No, if I came to, if I if I came over there, yeah, you reckon you reckon you guys would let me come to Charity Hammer?" And Mitch bent over backwards to to make sure that uh, they'd I'd, it'd be alright for me to come to Charity Hammer. And because I was there, I just let it be known to Val that I was going to be in the country around the time of LVO, and we did the so and we proceeded to do the um the undershow for that the the twenty twenty LVO. Yeah. Um, so G Dub had the main cast with um, with Reese and Frankie on it, and then me and Peter Peter the Falcon and the wonderful Paul Murphy, who I'd been on FTN with, because uh, Simon Val had put me in contact with Paul and and, and kind of he, he stepped back from FTN and I'd, I'd stepped into his place. I've now been on that show for for two years, and I adore that man as well. He's done so much for me, uh, teaching me professionalism, consistency, inspiring me to try and make a go of this. Um, Paul's essentially kind of been become my mentor. Yeah. Um, so all the time in the world for, for Paul Murphy. Um, and yeah, they got me on the undercut on the undershow and me and Paul streamed the LVO on the under, the undershow. We ended up the final. Yeah. We, we weren't allowed to actually put a ca our own camera over the final. We had to watch Reese and Frankie's stream, restream it and re-commentate on it. And it was hilarious. You were, because I guess probably cause I know Val, but, um, but you guys were the ones I watched. I watched you and Paul do that, and you with your, you know, you had your fancy suits on, or you decided to. Drink. Did you have a T-shirt that looked like a? Was it a T-shirt yeah, with yeah, a tux printed on it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. right. So, but from the outside looking in, so you've just detailed the journey really well. But from the outside looking in, it's like one minute your logo is a dung beetle with your face on it pushing crap uphill. <laughs> Like the following year, you're live shoutcasting the LVO with Paul Murphy, and backed by yep. L by Val and Peter the Falcon. These, and at that time, these guys are genuinely 
really big names in the world of content in 40K, uh, and you've just kind of slotted in next to them, and it was like you'd been there all the time and you're part of the crowd. But it, it, it seemed to happen really fast, like bang, 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 you're on the Down Under network, and then, wait a minute, Art of War Down Under and shoutcasting mm. LVO and on Forge Narrative, and everything just kind of, bang, it exploded. Yeah, absolutely right. So right place, right time. And um, just maintaining relationships with people who, who I genuinely admire um, paid off. Like I was just ta- always talking to the to seemingly the right people sometimes. And when the people want to do things, um, I made my talents known, what, what few they are. And they, yeah, people just decided they wanted to work with me. I mean, I, um, Josh and I wanted to rebrand um, yeah, Josh and I wanted to rebrand um, uh, down on the network and try and help Australia explode a little bit more because we, we actually hit a little bit of a ceiling in Australia yeah. um, with our own content. Unfortunately, there just isn't that many eyeballs in Australia and we stream at the wrong time zone. Well, we stream, we stream at a very unique time zone where no one else exists, <laughs> you know? There's no other market. That's so right. Where Josh and I, we, we were getting so many more hits after we streamed, because international people were watching, we decided if we were just to co-brand with uh, a big international name, we would become synonymous with, with what, what Art of What was doing at the time, and it would get a bit of a trickle down. And Nick was all for it. Nick, Nick and, and um, Richard were like, fantastic, we want to build a, a brand in Australia, um, and we want to get things going down there. And so I started Art of War Down Under. I, I looked for a niche, because um, that was a mandate from Nick. He's like, cool, you can you know, live stream under our umbrella when you guys do, live, do um, the live content. But we need more podcasts for, we want, we, if you're going to end the network, well, we want to start a network with you. And so the, the mandate was, we need you to start a podcast for us. And I just like, cause like, what is nobody doing? I'm just like, man reads book. <laughs> I'm like, man reads book with person who knows stuff about thing in book. Right. So Adam, so Down on Network was born. <laughs> I went yeah. So now no, one's review, no one was reviewing stuff at the time in, in the fashion that I am. And I decided to try and do a public service thing as well with my podcast that, it's very hard to keep up with the game. The modern game is extremely quick. It's extre- it, it, it changes and evolves all the time. And I wanted to put stuff out there, put knowledge out there um, between, you know, whatever I can bring to the table plus, you know, expert opinions of what you need to know to play the game. And so, yeah, Art of War Dunno was born. I'm up to, I just released my 92nd episode now and wow. closing in on two years, which is pretty terrifying to me. Yeah, that's amazing. The amount of time you seem to contribute to doing this uh, and – I don't know if other people will be interested in this, but it, it it often occurs to me to ask you or to wonder aloud to myself if I'm listening as I'm listening to Adam Camilleri on yet another podcast or covering for someone on a show or being part of another show. How do you fit this into your life? I mean, I, I'm assuming that you have a life that you live that outside of 40k that involves friends and family and maybe a job. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you got a personal mantra? I don't. Know. I, I should ask more adults. Do you have a mantra that you live by? Do you, is there a, is there a, a, a saying you say to yourself? I've got like twenty, but there's one that I say to myself all the time: is that I can have it all if I'm willing to work for it, if I'm willing to put in the graft, lose sleep, negotiate times, move move shift, do things around. I believe that I can have it all in this life. Wow. And so when people when I when um. When I need to wake up early, like when I need to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and record a podcast with somebody internationally, I do it. When I need to, um, you know, shift shift uh, work or partner stuff to record or be on be on live stream, I do. Um, and vice versa, when I shift recordings to to do be with family and stuff. And I find if I'm just willing to do it, it, it time just works out. If I'm just willing to go for it, yeah. things to just work out. Um, and it's, I, I, I know that comes from a place of absolute privilege because I have a good job that's quite flexible and I'm very lucky to have it. Um, and they work with me quite well. I tell, I tell them like, um, Wednesdays, um, I, when I'm, when I'm in Australia, Wednesdays, I record with FTN at midday. I need, I, I'm going to take an hour and a half for my lunch break on Wednesdays and I will record FTN and I'll work, I'll work an hour later on Wednesdays because I have FTN to record during the middle of the day. Same as on Fridays. I, re- I record um, the Thursday show at 11 o'clock Australian time on Fridays. And I will work an extra an hour or two on Thursdays or Fridays. I'll make up the time and I'll fit it in. Um, and so, yeah, I just do what I got to. I've just been willing to do whatever I must to, in order to achieve my goals. Um, and, yeah, like I said, absolute place of privilege. And I'm very well aware. 
Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's interesting. The, um, do you know what? A mantra is an interesting question. I've been doing the same job in New Zealand, sitting at the same desk, doing the same thing for 22 and a half years now. Uh, again, inspirational as, as hell, man. Well, well it's, again, it comes from a place of privilege. It's the job I always wanted. I'm a breakfast radio host in New Zealand and I, and I love it. Um, and it's not really a job. It's just something I enjoy doing. But it has led me to a place of just being a little bit, not blasé exactly, but it's just, you know, it's a long time. So I used to be the same prior to this gig. Anything that came up, I would say yes. And that's how I got the gig. You know, I got onto television. I was on TV for several years because one day someone happened to walk in and I think I was the fifth choice. They asked four other people, hey, would you, our news reader is away. We need someone to go on TV on this regional channel and read the news. And they said to me, would you do it? And I was like, are you kidding? Yes. Hell yes, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the national network picked me up. And then from there, it was on to other things. So the same thing as you, saying yes, moving things around, just grabbing opportunities. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll have a go. If I fall on my ass, so be it. But it, who knows what can happen when you just say yes to things? Dude, absolutely. And, and what, a lot of fear. I've dealt with a lot of fear um, of putting myself out there or, you know, the, being a public, I'm sure you're, you're well aware, being a, a public figure um, comes with no small amount of ridicule, especially, I, and I, I don't want to say especially in, in, for, in the 40K community because I haven't experienced it in other communities yet. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it does come with its, its fair share of naysayers. People just don't like your personality or your opinions or whatnot, and you're very well entitled to them, um, more, more than there and yeah, I've I found I've struggled quite a bit with some of that at times, and it's just it, it's not about what they're saying; it's about how I'm doing. Is right, what I, is what the realization is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more to do, yeah, with my own insecurities at whatever time, whether they those those comments land or whether I just be like, well, sorry, you didn't enjoy it, mate. Hopefully, you enjoy the next one. <laughs> yeah, please, please that's it. well, you know what? And this is the thing: not everybody you can't please everybody all the time. Our radio show rates mm. like really well. But even though it rates really well, there are an awful lot of people not listening who don't like it. And that's fine. It's just it is what it is. Uh, I will say, though, that um, I've got a couple of good friends just through work, good friends who are politicians in the national, you know, like they are they are in government at the moment. And if you think you get shat on in 40K, <laughs> then that ain't, ain't nothing compared to what yeah, man. Na- our politicians have had to deal with getting the country through COVID. Every single decision that they've made, you just get crapped on from a great height mm-hmm. by half of the country. Half of the people love you. Half of the people think you're a moron who should be fired or strung up right now. And it's amazing. And they won't it's, hesitate yeah. in telling you. And so... You know, you and I, we're in the public eye. I feel like most of the time, though, and you can tell me, you get the odd comment on Facebook, but most of the time, wouldn't people be very positive when actually speaking to you? You do good work and you do a lot of work. And so the feedback must generally be, you know, good. The best thing about nerds, pretty timid in real life. Just, just out there. So, 100% no one no one's been rough no, one, no one's given me any grief in, in, uh, in real life which I'm very happy about it's just internet stuff right because um, you turn up to an event in an Australian singlet and you're tall and people are like I did have something to say to you so but I'm not going to say it now I'm just going to say great work dude well done <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope not, but if it has happened, hopefully something's going for me. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about the coverage yeah. um, because it is, as you've pointed out, shoutcasting is, and, and streaming coverage of 40K games is, is, is really new. Like it's in its infancy and there are, mm. there are those people in this game that would love to see it like more, more like sports coverage and like a little more mm. invested and have an idea of where it could go. I'd love to know your take on that. Where do you think it's at and what needs to happen for coverage to be really good? And as a follow-up kind of question, uh, is there the interest in the 40K community? Is there a market for it? So it's one of the things that's racked me a lot in Australia because for the longest time I've thought about setting up a a stable studio in Australia and doing something similar to what Top Titans do and what... um, um, Tabletop Tactics and those kind of guys who do those those live and those uh, post-battle reports. 
um, and things of that coverage. And I think it's something that Australia is starting to get. There's a couple of small uh, and hopefully soon to be big studios doing things in Australia similar. Um, but we always have this issue. If you want to do anything live in Australia, um, you get very few eyeballs. Unless you're willing to stream and, 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 and at crazy times, you get very few live eyeballs, which equates to, unfortunately, um, essentially running on goodwill. <laughs> your own right. goodwill and your own, you know, whatever energy you've got in your back. Live coverage... Um, is like you said, just the infantry. It's still it's still coalescing into what kind of format people want to watch the most. We have the things that um, I suppose like um, what you would have seen at the most uh, recent LVO with myself and Peter the Falcon, where we tried to make it as close to a like NBA, NFL, professional sports broadcast as possible uh, with, with what we have at the time and the technology available. Because there isn't a lot of money. Like we don't have a we don't have two trucks filled with production crew you know to just drive up next to a friggin 40k event and make it make it go um we have like you know very few dollars to throw at this thing um and then you also have so you have that format and you also have what kind of wonderful joe and war games live is doing yeah. check him out on youtube where he's just he's just doing the most cinematic experience possible of a single table but we're still trying to coalesce into what is there. I'm at a really weird point in this story as well. I've, I think I've, I've streamed, I mean, Joe's probably eclipsed me now, but prior to Joe starting what he was doing, I think I had commentated and streamed more hours of 40K than anybody else. Maybe the Answer War Gamer um, had, had taught me as well in the AOS scene. Um, and I, I was at the position where I, to justify continuing at that rate, it needed to translate into dollars. It was at a, I was doing... Yeah. Well, I was trying to be as professional as possible and give a professional product and, uh, and personality, but it wasn't equating. I couldn't find anybody willing to pay me enough to do it. Like people were like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you can sleep on a couch in this economy and you won't have to pay for that and we'll, we'll buy you a meal or something. And I was like, oh, man, like I'm in my mid-30s. Like, you know, I, can't, yeah. I can't do that for much longer. Um, and so it's, it's like this crux point where it's where my passion is and it's where I want to be. But right now, it doesn't just doesn't make financial sense for, for that to be my modus operandi. Like it can be in a couple of other things. But sorry, I'm talking about myself too much. Um, well, no, this, the whole podcast is about you, dude. So like, talking about yourself oh, is what I'm asking geez. you to do. But I think I do – see, I'm – Coming from a professional broadcasting background and looking at what's available and what's out there and understanding also the technical challenges and the financial challenges, I feel like a combo of both, if people would talk to each other or get together, what Joe does, I love what Joe does, but at the same time what I want from Joe is is maybe, uh, you know, someone like you and Paul and maybe Nick Nanavati, that someone in that area sitting alongside him and doing like the professional yeah. commentary. I love having the players mic'd so you can bring them up every now and then if you're wondering what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. But having a having an actual commentator there as well. I, I, you know, again, this is no criticism. I love what Joe's doing and I subscribe and I, yeah. I watch. But um, but I'm not, I would love for it to be more about the game than it is about the the people who are chatting to him in the chat. You know, he kind of talks to them a lot. Mm. I'd love commentary of the game with his coverage and your commentary and kind of a mix of of the two different systems. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. Where do you sit on player mics? How, oh, I love how them. Do you feel about I love them. Mics? I had this chat yeah. recently with okay. Val, actually, just because I, um, I am very much of the mind that, because, and I'm a big sports guy, I love watching sports. The more information that I have watching, then the better. And 40K is complicated, right? Yeah. So the more we understand about what's going on in the player's mind, then the better it is for me as a viewer so I can, I can know what's happening. And not all the time, not always up, but if there is ever a time when the commentators are going, man, I'm just not sure what's going on here. Having the players mm. so that we can hear them, in my mind, is a good thing. What do you think? Um, yeah, it isn't, it isn't. Like, so I, I, always, I always try and act with the end game in mind. And the end, if the end game is a professional sports level um, you know, broadcast, you don't, you don't hear the basketball players as they're playing the game, do you? You you, True. you don't hear the NFL players or the linebackers, you know, call it, really calling the shots. You have to extrapolate the information at hand. I feel like the end game doesn't have player mics in it, but I absolutely agree they are 100 necessary for where we are right now because, like, we just don't have a team of 10 people to give you to give the the, the, the right. stream of consciousness to the broadcaster. I would um, say that the you have are those things. The big difference, though, is in basketball and in golf and in cricket and in baseball, 
there's like ours is a complicated game and it's hard to see mm-hmm. the dice and it's hard to see the specific exact movement of the models. Yeah. Whereas in basketball, you know what's happening. You can see what's happening and it's easy for an yeah. experienced commentator to say, this is what's going on and this is what I suspect will happen next. Um, you mm-hmm. and Nick and Paul know the game, but even you guys will look at a game and go, well, look, I think this is what's going on, but it's it's sometimes <laughs> it's really I, I, hard to tell. I, I did. I don't. I actually asked you quite a, a while ago. Um, I think I messaged you just professionally and just said, "Hey, mate, I'm looking for some ways to get better at broadcasting. Like, I, I want to have more voice control. I want to have voice longevity. I want to, you know, get better at what I do." And he gave me some great tips. One of the things I will uh, and criticisms I have of other broadcasters. You are the expert. You are the voice of the game, the scene, the event. Never say you don't know what's happened. Never. <laughs> Never, ever, ever tell people you do not know what's going on. Make something up and be wrong. It is way better to do that than lose the faith of the crowd in your voice, um, right. in, in what you have to say. You are the only expert, if you can't, especially if you can't hit the players, you are the only expert that, they, that, the, that the audience has access to. And so if you don't know what's going on, Talk about something else. Uh, talk about the hobby. Talk about a piece of fluff you like until you figure out what's happening. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to make out that I've. I've gone to commentary like a duck to water. I've found my way through the Merc. I've done a lot of research and I've listened to a lot of other commentary styles. I, in fact, I don't know if you. Um, I don't know if anybody else has picked up on this. Maybe you haven't. Um, <laughs> I lose myself in doing commentary. Like you'll see, I will start off a game um, and, and a call and an event at a pretty stable cadence, and I will talk pretty reasonably, <laughs> and then I'll just get into it and into it, and we're off to the races. He's over there, he's doing that. He's gonna make a nine-inch charge. He's gonna be over there. He's gonna make he's gonna strike your power and sort of do it. It's gonna be the flux point of the game. It's gonna be a nine-point differential when it all comes down to it, and you know it just kind of goes ballistic, and that's because I'm so freaking passionate about what I do. But yeah. I need to harness that energy in order to make it a more viewable thing and more palatable for people. Right. Uh, and yes, I looked at a lot of different commentary styles. The first one I started with, which is where I discovered this crazy speed at which I can speak, um, is I watched a lot of esports. I watched a lot of uh, uh, because I thought the first place for us to start would be trying to be an esport. So I watched a bunch of esport coverage, and you'd have these people calling these like uh, I, I play. I played some mobas in the day. I was very good at, at the original Dota. Uh, I tried to go semi pro at that. I couldn't get a team because I was a drunk. Um, <laughs> you're unreliable. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, no, one, no one would put up with me. I was obnoxious. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, 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 that was the first place. I started StarCraft to um, coverage like this, coverage of the big, uh, big games that I liked watching. And they talked slow, 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 and crazy speed as the action picked up and picked up in cadence. And so that's who I copied initially. And then I've started switching over to, you know, watching NFL, watching AFL, things mm. like that. And they, they tend to keep their pace a lot more, a lot steadier um, throughout. And I'm, I'm trying to do that as well. Successfully, unsuccessfully, you guys be the judge. But yeah, it's something I am trying to learn. I want to, uh, only because I'm conscious that we're, you know, time-wise, you've got to get back to work and I've got to go pick up kids and things. But, um, Mate, and you, we've go got, as long as, long as you want. <laughs> we've got lives. But uh, the one thing, the one other thing I wonder when you guys are at an event, and I wonder about Nick Nanavati with this as well, when you go to the LVO to Shoutcast, would you not rather be playing? So it's kind of, in, um, and it's, it's a really weird thing to say because there's very little fame, accolades, whatever, anything that comes with shoutcasting. It's a phenomenal amount of hours that you put in for usually a pat on the back at the end. Yeah. Um, and some nice, nice comments along the way in the chat if, you, if you're doing a good job. Um, and, you know, there's no dollars. And, like, uh, shoutcasting the LVO is what you're doing somewhere between nine and 12 hours a day, three days in a row. Um, and, you know, like essentially, for the, for, so for the LVO, people who don't know, I just, I had my accommodation covered. LVO covered my accommodation. I stayed there for free. That was it. No, no foods, no, no money in my pocket, no nothing. Um, and I did essentially somewhere, between, somewhere around 36 hours worth. Yeah. Like dollar per hour. It's a horrific proposition. Um, but I love it. I get a lot out of it. Um, when, and when I started um, shoutcasting, I, I, I found it a little bit intoxicating. Just being able to talk about something I love, like consistently, thoroughly, 
bringing us new eyes, enjoying like somebody in the chat saying, oh, wow, I've never seen this game before. Oh, this is an awesome play. Thank you guys for the coverage. Oh, man, I'm so proud of what that guy pulled off there. And being able to bring something I love to eyeballs is something I'm quite proud of and something I, I revel in. Um, like, a, like, Can I swear? Yeah. I'm a pig in shit. I'm absolute pig in <laughs> shit when it, comes to, when it comes to commentary. I love it. I love everything about it. And um, like I said, it comes with very few perks outside of a pat on the head. But it's just the, the immersion. I will never be more immersed in the game and the community and, and, and what is happening on a, on a table and then I, and more connected. I never feel more connected than when I'm shoutcasting a game. Um, and, and so that, that's one of the big passions for me and, and trying to inject people with that passion as well is something I, I, I'm very, well, hope I can do. Um, and yeah, sometimes I do wish I was playing. Like I see people, like if I, when I'm shoutcasting one of my armies, especially, and I'm just like, oh, I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy just won. Yeah, yeah. But um. No, no. I, I, I do really enjoy playing the game, though. Like, I, I went for a while, especially during um, kind of mid to late 8th, when I was, I was probably shout-casting the most um, late 8th, early 9th, um, was really when I was shout Like, you could, I was shout-casting something every weekend. Like, I was, I was pretty much not... My weekends were pretty much nocturnal right. when I was in Australia because I was up, up all night, asleep all day. Um, and, yeah, I realized I still wanted to play because I was barely playing it then. It was, it was during pandemic as well. I was barely playing the game. I barely had the opportunity to. And I realized I still had the passion for it. I'm on, a, I'm on kind of that journey at the moment of trying to, like, I have a goal of winning a GT this year. And I want to be, be the best uh, number one Dark Angels player in the world, if not in Australia. Um, and so I do have some of those drives back, which I think I lost. And I'm hoping those things, that first and that, desire to know as much as I can about the game and be truly immersed in the competitive edge and it will make me a better shoutcaster as well. And, right. um, yeah, hopefully it's just like a snake eating its own tail. It's all just feeding itself. <laughs> so I was good. I thought you were going to say working hand in hand. Your analogies are a bit more Australian, <laughs> but <laughs> very good. Uh, quick fire before we go. Uh, best play you've ever faced? Uh, Nate. Uh, ooh. Nate and Eric Lutheris. They're as good as each other. Are they really? Okay. That's, yeah. Well, they that's, are. I was going to say that's big for, but then I couldn't decide who. I think it's big for both of them. That's great. Um, the craziest thing that's happened in a game? Um, it is 7th edition, um, yeah, 7th edition um, 40K, and I make uh, a full crisis bomb um, with like all the trimmings run off the table with a tank shock. <laughs> well, no, not with a tank shock. Um, I debuffed him with uh, a psyker. Yeah. No, no, no. He just failed. His, he just. I think he just failed his ten rerollable and ran off the table. Oh my god! Where I killed like two dudes. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened. I killed like two dudes out of a full thing. Ten inch rerollable ran off the table and won the game. I was losing so freaking bad. That seventh edition morale phase was the worst thing in the world. Well, that and the fact yeah, that I, I remember. I, I'm remembering that wrong, but something happened that was outrageous that made a full crisis bomb run off the table. And, <laughs> yeah. I remember it being like yeah. it was it was really early on for me, and I was like, "Holy God, I just won a game! I was getting I was getting demolished! I can do this! This is great!" <laughs> and uh, your best or most memorable win, and I'm guessing uh, etc. Uh, you've you've talked about the most memorable time you lost, but what about the uh, most memorable win for you as a player or as a teammate or whatever? Um, Caracon. Uh, 2018, which was the last major. Oh, sorry, I have two really weird accolades. I won the last major in Australia of 7th edition 40k and 8th edition fantasy. Right, wow. Very frustrating, the 8th edition fantasy one, because I was just getting good at that game and getting into the competitive game. And I was a perennial bridesmaid or top three, top five to like uh, six months before. And then I won one and the game died. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, Terracon, um, 2017, 2018. I, as the last one of 7th edition, I played guard with um, a sprinkling of assassins and managed to win win a major with guard at the end of 7th edition. Like, yeah. that was huge for me. That is, yeah, that's impressive. Listen, uh, I'm done, man. I've got no more questions for you. Well, I've got lots more, but I've run out of time. And so... Um uh, I just wanted to say thanks. Keep up the great work. Uh, I know you're back in Australia at the moment. I want to ask what's next. Are you are you flicking back over to the States? Are you going to do more of the the events and the shoutcasting? Are you going to focus on playing for a bit? What happens? 
Um, so the, right now, I'm I'm still the shoutcaster for all the FLG events. So I've got BAO coming up. I'm going to be shoutcasting. But I, apart from that, I plan to shoutcast at big American events and play Australian events because um, I, I find that'll give me the best split. I get to be involved with the Australian scene, still get my finger in and uh, do the thing I love um, with the American scene. And also, it's, I, it's, it's a good gig. I, I, I enjoy that. Um, I enjoy working with that team. I love them dearly, the Ocho, my boys. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of the split I'm looking at at the moment. I am headed over to WTC to hopefully shoutcast that. And if I'm not shoutcasting, I'm just going to go and kick back and enjoy the event. Yeah. Probably just carry beers for my mates. <laughs> um, and, um, and, yeah, after that, I'm hoping to uh, – because I'm going back to work in Australia. I, I told my work I'm back, and I'm, I'm starting on Monday. Um, and if they let me, I'm going to go for another three-month three, three month stint after WTC. I'm, I plan to spend a month in Europe, hopefully hook up with some of my great friends in Spain and the U.K. and other places maybe do some content with a bunch of people I've always wanted to work with and, you know, hello, Lawrence. Um, and <laughs> then uh, hopefully if, if everything goes well there, I'll be back in the States following that. It's it possible I end up back in Australia following WTC. It's all just kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, I'm at a weird, like I said, I've said it a couple of times, I'm in my mid-30s. I've got to consider buying a house. I've got a lovely partner. Um, I don't want to lose that or it and I miss my family. So there's a lot, a lot of things for me to weigh up at the moment. Sure. And like, but like I said, I believe I can have it all. So let's see how we go. Yeah, 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 nice. Uh, and honestly, make the most of it now before kids come along because that really throws uh, a whole nother layer no, no, of... Not happening. <laughs> okay, good. All right, well, that would be my advice. Don't do it. Like, I love my kids dearly, but just don't do it. Um, thanks so much for your time, mate. It's really lovely to talk to you. Good luck with whatever it is that comes next, and uh, I look forward to, to the next Adam Camilleri uh, podcast. Dude, thank you very much for having me on your show. I, I absolutely admire you and everything you do. Um, you're someone I expect greatly in this scene, and hopefully everybody stays behind Steve in all his endeavours. Thank you so much for having me on Game Changers. Uh, before we leave, actually, I do want to do just a little shout-out to you. You've mentioned a whole lot of other people that, that you lean on and that have been good to you or that whatever. Uh, the one thing I would love about Adam Camilleri is every time I post on Facebook, every time I publish an episode, every time, and in uh, fact, even before I, when I was just, when I pitched my idea to Reese about getting involved in podcasting on Frontline Gaming, uh, the first person to say nice things, the first person to like, the first person to comment, the first person to support is always Adam Camilleri. So thank you for nah. your support, mate, always. Nah, my absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. And there it is. Big thank you again. <laughs> I feel like all I've been doing is thanking Adam for the last five minutes. The quickest talking man in the West links to Adam Camilleri's work on Art of War Down Under and Forge the Narrative are in the show notes to this episode. Hey, do me a favour, will you? Go like 40K Game Changers on Facebook. Leave a review. I'd love that, and it really does help get more people into the show. Check out all the interviews at 40kgamechangers.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve Joel. I'll see you next time.